Okay, the story begins. We are on the second part of chapter 17 of Tanya. Just a quick disclaimer, the original recording of this session is unfortunately lost, so this is being re-recorded. There is no live audience here, so you're not going to hear the back-and-forth discussion that you do on the other recordings, but uh, hopefully you'll enjoy. We are in the practical Tanya, page 205. Everybody has the ability to serve God, to emotionally connect, to authentically feel that passion um, on some level. It might be on a more intellectual level. If I don't feel it, I at least appreciate it. But the love is there on some level. Um, with the exception of a rasha. A rasha doesn't necessarily mean a wicked person. A rasha means an out-of-control person. There's the tzaddik, the bainani, the rasha. The tzaddik is totally perfect inside and out. He has totally internalized the divine soul. He not only behaves well, but he wants to behave well. The bainani is urged to behave how he wants to, but he's going to do the right thing. But the rasha has totally lost control. And because of that, he's going to have a hard time connecting inside. Take a look at the, the uh, middle bold paragraph right under where it says section 2. Generating enough love to observe the mitzvahs is very much within reach for everyone. Unless he's a real rasha. Take a look at the next bold paragraph. As our sages of blessed memory taught that the, that the rasha is controlled by the heart. The hearts are not in their control at all. That's the difference between a tzaddik and a rasha. Basically, a tzaddik controls the heart. A rasha is controlled by the heart. They've become desensitized. They no longer feel that sensitivity towards the soul, towards what Hashem wants. Um, it's for this reason that the Talmud refers to a rasha as somebody who's dead. They're spiritually dead. Because they're life you know there, there's two parts of our life there's the fact that we're alive and there's the fact that we have a life you know they say you know get a life i'm alive i have an existence but do i have a life a russia doesn't have a life a real meaningful life or it might be meaningful to him but but he's not doing what he's supposed to and his true inner vitality his soul is not something he's consciously aware of He's going to have a hard time experiencing that. And that's why the Talmud refers to the Russia as dead, spiritually dead. So what is the anecdote? What do they do? What does a Russia do? Somebody who's totally lost control. They not only feel the urge to sin, but they actually follow that urge. And they've lost all sensitivity toward their relationship with God. They have to do Teshuvah. Teshuvah is translated as repentance or returning. Take a look on page 206, right under where it says section 3. It's the second to last bold paragraph. Because in truth, real Rasha'im, a real Rasha cannot begin to worship God on a regular basis without first repenting for the past. Why? What does repentance do? In order to break or shatter the klipa, the negative energy which has formed a permanent curtain of separation and an iron wall, which interposes between them and their Father in Heaven, between them and God. There are two types of teshuvah, two types of returning, two types of repentance. There's a higher level of repentance and a lower level of repentance. 
the lower level of repentance is to remove the wall that sin has built up. The more we sin, the more desensitized we are. So the lower level of teshuva is simply regretting that past, breaking down that wall. Then there's the higher level of teshuva, which is focusing not what I'm running away from, but whom I'm running to. It's reconnecting. And that's a much higher level of teshuva, and we will reference that later on. But a rasha has to start with the lower level of teshuva, of taking down that iron wall. That stuff be- that gets between them and God. Um, that's basically regretting the sins, regretting the past, realizing that it's wrong. In other areas of Tanya, the section that has to deal with Teshuva, the third section, it gives the example of the rope. The more we sin, you know, our, our connection to God is like a lifeline of 600, a string, a rope of 613 strands, and our sins sever the rope. At some point, we've got to retie the rope. That's Teshuva. When we do retie the rope, the connection is much uh, stronger. I'll give you another analogy. Take a look in chapter 29 of Tanya. The Tanya is a little bit of a puzzle. He discusses the desensitized person, similar to what we're discussing here. Although in the context of chapter 29, is not necessarily referring to a Russia. There's the desensitized person. Why are they desensitized? Because they're not conscious of their soul. And he gives an analogy from the Zohar. You have a log that you're trying to ignite on fire, but it's just not catching. The reason is the log is just too thick. So you have to you have to splinter the log a little bit. You have to soften it up, make it more receptive, make it more sensitive to be able to catch and facilitate the fire. And it's the same thing with the body-soul relationship. Sometimes we're not aware of our soul. In the case of a Russia, totally not aware of the soul, totally lost control. The soul is still present, but very much um, irrelevant, very much abstract. And it requires a little bit of softening and splintering that would becoming more receptive, becoming more open. And that's Teshuvah. Take a look at the last bold line on 206. This is done through feeling heartbroken and embittered in their souls over their sins, regretting the sins. It doesn't mean we have to beat ourselves up necessarily, but we definitely, there's value to um, regretting our past. I'll tell you a story. Rav Shmuel, Lubavitch, the Rebbe Maharash, was known as a very busy person with his busy schedule prayers, studies, everything. He finished all of his own personal things by 8 o'clock in the morning. He had a lot. He was a community activist. And he gathered several Hasidim one day, mysteriously, and said, we're getting on a train, we're going to France, to Paris. They had no idea why. They get on the train. And they head to Paris. And they go to this luxurious hotel. It was known as a very luxurious hotel. He asked for a room on the top floor near the casino. Back in those days, about 150 or more years ago, 175 years ago perhaps, there were no elevators. They had people that would carry you up the flight, uh, up the stairs in the more luxurious hotels. And they took advantage of that service. They went all the way up. He settles in his room 
and the Chassidim are waiting. The Rebbe Maharash goes into the casino. They are shocked. What is the Rebbe doing? What is going on? What are we doing here in France? I don't know where the Rebbe is busy. What's going on here? The Rebbe sits down to a fellow who's at one of the tables playing cards, who's sipping wine. And the Rebbe Maharash taps him on the shoulder and mysteriously whispers in his ear, in Yiddish, Yayin nesech is metamtim halev, zayin hayid. Non-kosher wine desensitizes or stuffs up the heart. Be a Jew. The Rebbe Maharash leaves, goes back to his room, and you can imagine the reaction this person had. What, what, what just happened? Apparently he was a Jew. That uh, his Yetzer Hara, his inclination, controlled him. In that sense, he became a Rasha. And he went off the path, and the Rebbe Maharash somehow knew he was here. And went all the way to whisper that this guy, this in this guy's ear, and he left. The man, a few minutes later, came running out, looking for the Rebbe Maharaj, found out which room he was in. Knocks on the door. They had a very long, meaningful conversation. The rest is history. Him, his children, and at this point, grandchildren, great and great-great-grandchildren, are now observing a lifestyle that is consistent with God's values, with the Torah's values. The point is, a sin as simple as non-crucial wine desensitized him. And any sin will desensitize us. But through teshuva, we can break through that wall. We can reconnect. And this is what we refer to as the lower level of teshuva. By the way, even though it's the lower level of teshuva, um, that doesn't preclude it being performed with joy. The Rebbe points out in many places that Teshuvah is a mitzvah. At least according to some. It's certainly sacred. And if that's the case, it has to be done with joy, just like all sacred activity has to be done with joy. Even running away from a negative path, trying to break down and regret the sins that we've done, it has to be done with joy. Because it's ultimately for the purpose of not, God forbid, breaking us but for the purpose of building us. Um, this idea of sin, building up, creating this wall, desensitizing us, this is what we refer to as the exile of the Shekhinah, of the Divine Presence. The Talmud says that when the Jewish people are exiled to Edom, to the land of Edom, the Shekhinah, God's Presence, came with them. Um... But on a very personal level, when we act like the Edomites, when we follow the evil inclination, unfortunately, the Shekhinah, the Divine Presence, the, the Divine Soul, gets um, hidden and overpowered, dominated by the animal soul. What we know to be right becomes jaded by what we feel to be comfortable. And in order to serve God with love, in order to serve God with passion, that's where we need to do teshuva, to break through that, uh, that desensitized, uh, that, that wall that is of sin that has desensitized us. And only then does a Russia, somebody who loses control, self-control, who got themselves into that situation, only then do they have the ability to start serving God only then do they have the ability to guide their heart 
rather than just be guided by their heart. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it.